Well, good morning. Good morning. Well, welcome to Battleground Community Church. Whether you're watching online or here, we invite you to turn to Romans. Believe it or not, we're actually going to finish up chapter 1 today. So I don't know how many sermons I've preached. Uh, maybe Mike and maybe knows. I'm not sure. But, you know, we finally, we're finally getting to the end of this, of this chapter. And uh, I do want to give you a warning. Uh, this is probably going to be a rated PG sermon. Uh, but I have to be as clear as the text is being clear. I have to apply this to the same, in the same context as the, as the culture that was going on in, in the day that it was written is going on and parallel that with our day. And, and so we've got to be clear. I'm not going to say any, anything out of order, uh, but we must, we must be clear. Your children and your, great, and your grandchildren uh, are, are being told things very clearly while the church, by and large, stays silent. And so we, have, we must speak to what God speaks to. And so let's, let's read the whole section again, and uh, let's see what God has for us today. So Romans 1, beginning in verse 18, we're going to read all the way down to verse 32. And so let's stand in honor of God's Word. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. The Word of God says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give Him thanks to Him. And they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their eyes to the impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up relationships with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that one who should practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is the word of God. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, as we gather here in the name of your son we get to this sobering section 
where we're saying, Lord, we must look at human depravity, human sin, the extent of it, how it can spin out of control in people's lives and cultures, communities and countries. This text just parallels our world and our community and our school, our hobbies. This is going on in the lives of our friends and in our families and those that we love. And so, Lord, we must look at it clearly today. And your word is truth. It flows right out of your character and nature. So, Lord, show us yourself and give us the boldness to love people with the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So I keep coming back, whether it's our vision as the church of what we should be about, or even in this, the depravity of man, to this picture of a funnel. Dare I ask you to think of a toilet bowl this morning, because it paints such a clear picture of what sin, how sin functions in your life, and in this world, in our community, I didn't, I didn't come up with this, and I don't really know who did. That sin will take you deeper than you thought possible and leave you there longer than you could ever, ever wanted to stay, and it's true. That's what the text is showing us. But what it's also been teaching us is something that we may not be expecting, that unbridled moral depravity is a consequence of God's wrath, not just a reason for it. That sin creates its own consequences. And the more you sit in it, and the more you abide in it, the more that spiraling effect begins to happen in someone's life, like flushing a toilet bowl. It all leads to a destination. And so, I just want us to see that. This progressive nature, this spiraling downward like a funnel of man's depravity Review a little bit as we go. I want you to see, but that's what I want you to have in your mind. This, these things are connected, they're spiraling, and once they begin to happen, we can see them clearly in the life of the people that we, that we love in our life and clearly in the community and school systems or wherever you spend a lot of time. First is they lose their standard. I want to I spend some time here. Because this is the point that Paul is trying to make. And if we miss it, and oftentimes we do miss it because preachers simply fly in about verses 26 and 27 and rail on homosexuality and then fly away. And if we're not careful, we're going to miss the, the whole point of what Paul is connecting this to. And this is, a, this is an important point that what happens in this spiraling of depravity is that people lose their objective standard by which they live. And you have to have one. I want you to see that it starts with the eternal standard. Look at verse 20. It says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Before we get to the written word today, we can have a conversation about sexuality, about human depravity that begins right with God. The eternal standard is that God is the good. 
And so everything that comes out of him and everything that he creates and every design that he has put in place and every law that we discover is good because it comes out of the divine essence of who is God and God is good. That's critical. Everything, the, the eternal mind of God is wrapped in not only sovereignty and wisdom and love and truth, but in goodness. And when, when we see He begins to create, it was good, it was good, it was good, and everything was good. And when it gets to us, it's very good. And so from the eternal standard comes the natural standard. And you can see that right there in verse 20. God, God's Word connecting this for us. For the invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. How? How does it say? In the things that have been made. And so there is a natural standard, a natural law that is revealed in what God created. In other words, God created these things and they have an objective, a logical way that they are created. The eternal mind designed things, and so they work a certain way. Gravity works a certain way. These laws work, and we can't change them. It doesn't matter what we think about them. You can not believe in the law of gravity. You're still going to get splatted if you jump off, a, jump off Crowder's Mountain. It's the same way with the natural. The natural law reflects that God created, and the pinnacle of that creation is His image bearers. And He created, the natural law tells us, God's, listen, before we ever get to thou shalt and thou shalt not, before we ever get to what 1 Corinthians says, or Romans 1 says, the natural law says that God created you in God's image, and He put you a design on you, male and female. He created us with that design. And since it comes out of the eternal standard, it is good. All man's laws flows out of this. All man's laws should flow out of this. It should flow out of the eternal to the natural into our very life. This is why Christian liberty, whether we realize it or not, is so important to us. So the liberty of which we stand, of which we fight for as a country, because of where it rests in, it rests in the eternal that flows into the natural that flows into our very great country. And so what he is doing here is saying, this is the natural law. God created things a particular way. So what is the greatest example of not living the way God created you to live? This is why he brings in homosexuality. He brings homosexuality in. Not only, we're going to talk about this because it was an epidemic in that culture, but because it parallels the natural with the unnatural. That's why he... It's not because he lists a whole, we'll get to some of these, a whole list of things. But why does he pick this one up and use it as the ultimate example? He's making a natural law argument that God created and designed things to be a certain way. 
and, and that the LGBTQ plus lifestyle, which is the way we're going to refer to it today, because that's what we're dealing with today, what the, what the Greco-Romans accepted as natural, they would have never imagined of what we're doing today. And you read history of what they bought into and what they loved, and it ought to make us just stand back on our heels. But there is an unnatural behavior that he gets to in verses 26 and verse 27. He said, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations. He's speaking of sexual relations. For those that are contrary to nature. Do you see that word nature? And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men. Receiving the due penalty. Paul is pointing those that read. He's pointing us to how God intended all people to live. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you believe, that God created us on all people at a design and intends us to live that way. This is not us Christians shoving our Bibles down other people's throat. We are pointing out the fact that there is a divine lawgiver who gave us a natural law and he stamped it on our humanity and we can do nothing about it but acknowledge it. But that's not what we see, do we? What we see in the text and what we see in our life is the suppression of this truth that there is a divine designer, that there is a way that he has made us The LGBTQ plus community must be highlighted, not because it's the only sin here, because it is the supreme example, as it was in Paul's day, of doing things that is contrary to nature, contrary to the way that God designed our identity and our sexuality to function in this world. That's what Paul means when he used the word natural. God created us to have natural sexual desire. He, he, he means these desires to, to work within the framework of which he designed it for. And homosexuality and, and anything, any other, as you go right down that, that lifestyle, God says, I have a design for that. And to go against nature, to go against nature is to go against God, is to go against his good design that he designed for your life. This sexuality and identity is not a fluid matter. It is not a cultural construct. It is an absolute truth that flows out of the divine. And we abandon it at our own peril. That's what he's teaching us today. So let's be clear. The LGBTQ plus lifestyle is wrong because of God's nature. Genesis 1.26 says, Let us make man after our own likeness. There are things about us that God stamped his image on. We reflect him by embracing how he made us, how he designed us, and how he designed this world to work. The LGBT lifestyle is wrong because of God's design. It says he created him in his own image. He created him male and female. He created them. It goes on to tell them to be fruitful and multiply. There is a design for that. 
The LGBTQ plus lifestyle is wrong because of God's law. So out of his eternal came the natural. Out of the natural came the moral law. And Leviticus 18.22 says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. We'll talk about that word later. The penalty of this in the Old Testament was death. Leviticus 20.13 said, If a man lies with a male as with a, as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall be surely put to death. Their blood is upon them. The destruction, and we'll get to this too, of their community was at stake. This depravity is wrong because God's word says it is. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteousness that the or do you not know that the unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen to verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So yes, we must be clear and know we will not apologize for what the truth of God says if it's sin and it's an abomination, we must call it that. But we also get to verse 11 that remembers we were on the list too. Amen? We were on the list too. Such were some of us. But if God's grace is greater to reach down and pull, snatch us up and make us children, and it can for anybody that finds themselves in this lifestyle as well. They lose their standard and then they lose their minds. You don't need to walk around very long. You don't need to engage people who embrace this lifestyle very long to realize it is hard to have a conversation. It is because in verse 21 is happening. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. They have darkened hearts. Reflects the, something deep within them. Because of that, verse 28 says, Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. This is the twisted thinking. This is what a, this, why he's pointing out that this type of sexual sin comes, it just doesn't make any sense. What God calls Christians to do in Romans 12 to is to renew your mind, not to have a twisted one. And you, don't, you can't even know the difference if you do not have a standard by which you live by that is eternal, that is unchanging, that is timeless, that is not constructed by some culture. And God gives us that standard. And it's not open. They lose their standard. They lose their minds. And here's what we see next. They lose their shame. They lose their shame. There's no blushing in this culture now. For this reason, verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those contrary to nation. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion. Men committing shameless acts. So we have first in verse 26, dishonorable passions. And then in verse 27, we have shameless acts. 
So we put these together, these shameless passions. Shameless, shameless means dishonorable. It means disrespectful. Sort of gets to the point of who this sin is really directed towards. Passion is a strong feeling. And in Scripture, is often connected to sexual lust. They're shameless in what they do. They are substituting what is natural, how God designed them for what is unnatural. That's what they're doing. There's no shame about it. They're not only not shame about it, they expect for everybody in the culture to not only accept it, but they expect people like me and people like you to stand up in places like this and promote it. It's nothing new. In the Greco-Roman society, homosexuality was normal. Matter of fact, one guy said that 14 out of the first 15 emperors were homosexuals. Some of the Greco-Romans even considered homosexuality to be greater, to be sought after than heterosexuality. That was the culture that they lived in. That's why he brought this up. On contrast, in the Jewish culture, the Jewish culture seen homosexuality as an abomination. It's, it's interesting. You know, we don't use this word abomination. Did you use it this week? <laughs> I didn't. And uh, maybe you did. But I like a, I like a, a website. It's called thesaurus.com. You know, you sit there going, what is that? What's, a, what's some other synonyms for the word abomination? And here's what jumped off the page at me. It can be considered a curse or a plague. Do you understand why the Jewish people... And even the moral law reflected such a serious penalty because they seen it as a plague on their community. They could, they could, they could cause a, a type of cancer or like the black plague or something that would sweep through their community and decimate it. This is not an alternative lifestyle. It is, it is something that shows us that the wrath of God is not coming, that the wrath of God is already here. God did not intend us. God did not design men. God did not design men's body to have sex with other men. God did not design a woman's body. God did not design her to have sex with other women. God designed us to get married, to leave and to cleave, and inside a committed, committed covenant with someone else to enjoy having sex, and use that to procreate the world. That's God's it. God, God designed the sex. You know, it is, it, it is good. I mean, that's even worth an amen. It is very good. It's part of us. It's part of, the, part of God creating man and woman. But what happens is they have been set on fire in another direction. And when they do, the spiraling effect begins to happen. And not only do, do they practice it. We look at verse 32. It says, Though they know God's righteous decrees, that those who practice such things deserve to die. By the way, that's just an absolute truth of Scripture. Sin deserves death. 
buying yours, theirs. They not only do them, they give approval to those who practice them. If a child goes to college and he does not find a biblical community within the first three months, he will find another community that, is, that, that the professors are teaching him and the community is practicing them. You, we, they must find a biblical community because it is going to saturate their life, this other community that not only demand, wants us to accept their actions, that are teaching our children that they should practice it too. They lose their standard, they lose their minds, they lose their shame, and then they lose all control. It almost seems like they don't have a conscience, though the Bible's clear that they do. It's like that red light on your dash that you just ignore. Right? Somebody gets in, you know, maybe don't drive your car all the time, and sitting there going, you got a red light flashing on your dash. They say, ah, it's been there for like three months. It's okay. It's not okay. It's there, it's there for a reason. Your conscience, their conscience is there for a reason. But it can be neglected and it can be hardened. And what he's teaching us is they do, it, they do so at their own peril. God made us, verse 29 to 31, to be filled with something. And if we are not filled with God, if we are not filled with His Spirit, if we do not have a regenerate nature that changes our desires and are constantly filled with the Spirit that gives us the power in our bodies to do what God created us to do, we see what happens. They are filled with all manner of evil. They lose control. This is the bottom of the funnel. Make no mistake, this is Ephesians 5. 19 says, Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always to the God and Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. This is ultimately about worship. This sexual what we'll call in a little bit schizophrenia almost, this identity crisis that everybody is having is a worship issue. When man rejects God and God with his good design, he loses his standard, he loses his mind, he loses his shame, he loses his control. And as a result, sin explodes in his life and in the community and in the culture. Four destructive results. First, we see that it destroys God's honor. That's his ultimate. Verse 28 says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. 2 Thessalonians is interesting. It's just one of those passages I ended up reading this week in preparation that talks about the coming of Christ. Now, I'm going to read all of it today for the sake of time. But here's what hit me when, when, when the end is being described. What things are going to look like as we get closer and closer to the Lord's return is this conflict of worship. That what is happening here with all of these things that are going on and all of this sin and all of this depravity and your identity and your sexuality and your decision and your this and your that is simply teaching of people, what they worship, what they should worship. And it's going to be going on to the very end. 
It's what the man of lawlessness, this is what this, this spirit of lawlessness does. He sets up false worship for people, to, for people to worship. And the best way he can get them to do it is say, listen, you can do what you want with your own body. Just don't hurt anybody too bad. See how that's worked out in culture in just a little bit. To exchange the truth for a lie and to live it robs God of the glory that is due His name. To look at porn after your wife goes to bed ultimately is not simply about what you're doing to your spouse. It is what you're doing to the honor of God. To embrace the American dream and say that money and greed and success and career is ultimate in your life is to exchange the honor of God for the honor of yourself. It destroys God's honor. It also destroys our neighbor. The LGBTQ plus lifestyle is self-destructive. It also destroys destroys others. Listen, do I need to explain in detail the nature of sodomy and how destructive it is on the male anatomy? Does anybody discuss this these days? What age does to the body? What venereal disease does to the body? Where are these diseases found in the higher times? Homosexuality is five times more likely to develop syphilis than heterosexuals. This lifestyle brings from hepatitis to cancer in greater numbers. And we have only scratched the surface as we tamper with God's good design. And God gives the country people over their sin, creating their own consequences. But this is not just an LGBT plus issue, is it? Because we have verses 29 and 30. Look at it. Coveting, strife, deception, gossip, slandering, rebellious to parents, murder. Sinful depravity damages the great commandment that says by loving God... We love God by how we love our neighbor. And we are not supposed to do anything. It doesn't matter what it puts in our checking account. It doesn't matter how easy it makes our life. If it hurts my neighbor, I am not going to do it. Because it dishonors God. It destroys our neighbor. And it destroys our honor. It destroys your honor. When we buy in to the fact that every issue in our life boils down to your sexuality or your identity. When you buy into that lie, it is going to be your honor and your, your dignity that you're going to sacrifice on the altar of this culture. God created your life. He gave it to you as a gift to reflect Him in a particular way on this earth. We must embrace even sometimes by faith, our identity, our sexuality, our ethics in business, our ethics in the church, our priorities in the home. They are good. God put, put His love on you and His dignity on you. And we are sure not supposed to allow anybody to rob it from us. To go our own way brings dishonor to ourselves. That's what He says. 
He turns them over and they begin to dishonor themselves among themselves. To bypass God's good design with our sexuality and our identity causes us to lose joy. The way God intended our life to work. They're mutilating young children now. And they will never be the same. God designed them a particular way. Purity is about God. And purity is about yourself. We should honor both. Because our bodies, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, don't belong to us anyway. I can't alter it. Your body is meant for a noble purpose. God put it in his very, your very nature. It destroys God's honor. It destroys our neighbor. It destroys our honor. It destroys our culture. A man in my lifetime, the family killer, was divorced. And there's not any of us that haven't touched by it. But where are we at today? There is this schizophrenic-like identity going on where a man can identify as a woman or a man or non-binary. He can have a wife and a boyfriend and children and call it a family. And you tell me what it's going to do to the family. What it's doing to the family. What it's going to create in the next generation is absolute destruction. It destroys the family. It destroys the community. I can't preach this message and not talk about the sin of abortion and what it's done. This is quoting from the Washington Examiner. The tragic reality is 79% of Planned Parenthood abortion facilities are located within walking distance of neighborhoods that have proportionally higher populations of black or Latino women. As an, ana- an analysis of census track data clearly documents that this kingpin of the abortion industry targets women of color, selling them the illusion that they must choose between career advancement and their lives with their babies. Any doubt about this skewed impact on the women of on women of color would be dispelled if Planned Parenthood would would were to publish data on the proportion of their abortion clients who are minorities, but Planned Parenthood poignantly declines to release this data. I wonder why. Did you understand what Planned Parenthood is doing? They're putting their abortion meals within walking distance of black and brown people and the most poorest of people so that they can butcher them by the millions. Abortion, still quoting, Abortion in America 
has contributed to the greatest decline in black population since the first black slaves arrived in the Americas in the 1600s. According to the U.S. Census data, there were 18,871,831 black American citizens in 1960. But since Roe v. Wade in 1973, abortion has killed 20 million black babies, the entire population of 1960. Now you let that sit in on you for a second. They have slaughtered 20 million precious black babies. The whole population of 1960 would be like they didn't even exist. What does Romans 1 say about this? When we seek money and career and prestige over God and family, God may may actually allow a wicked woman like Margaret Sanger to create a godless organization like Planned Parenthood to thrive. That organization is not only under God's wrath, it is part of God's wrath for those who suppress the truth and decide to live life without God or His design. It destroys our communities. It destroys our families. And it's destroying our nation. The greatest prophet of the future is the past. And if you would dare to slow down a little bit, And just look back into the past. You would see what's coming in our future if we don't repent. Countries that reject God's eternal law and natural law cannot survive, much less thrive. So this is what Romans 1 is warning us of. So it's, and I know it's sobering. We've got to drink the medicine this morning that, that the Bible's given us this morning. We've got to understand the need before we appreciate the gospel. So what today? There's only two paths. There's only two destinies. And we have to ask ourselves a question. Which one of my own? Jesus put it this way in Matthew 7. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way it's easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many, but the gate is narrow. The way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So make no mistake, at the top of the funnel, it's easy to get in. That's what it's saying. That's why that funnel is just such a clear picture in my mind. But here's what the Bible is telling you. As as that spiraling effect begins to happen, your life will begin to narrow down on you and you will find yourself enslaved by the thing that offered you freedom. And the narrow way, as we follow it, yes, it's narrow and yes, it's hard. But what God offers you is a freedom that no one can take away. You see, sin takes you somewhere, but holiness does too. Following Christ takes you somewhere, but so does rejecting Christ. And so what are we supposed to do? Us here as Christians. Titus 3. Titus 3, verse 3. Very similar. Listen to what it says. For we ourselves... Were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, 
Listen to, what he, listen to what he says. Remember what I said about passions? Slaves to various passions and pleasures. Passing our days in malice and envy. Hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. But according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful then to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for who? People, men, this is not only the way to be saved. This is what is best for your neighbor. For us to share the gospel, for God to save people, it changes everything about them and has already changed everything about us. There is a mission you see for the redeemed. Just listen to this, Jude 3 Verse 20 says, but, but you, beloved, build yourselves up in the holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And, ho- and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire to others who show mercy with fear, hating even their garments to be stained by the flesh. We must wade in to the muck of other people's life so that they might be saved. And you must be strong in your faith to do that. You must have a commitment to your God and to your church. You must be filled with the Spirit. You can't go in to someone's life, into these lifestyles and these going on, and make a kingdom different if, you're, if, you're, if your armor is not on. The life of the redeemed is meant to have a profound and yet practical impact on ourselves, on our neighbors, on our families, on our communities, and on our world. So make no mistake, while this world spins out of control and is trying to destroy all of these things, the gospel comes to bear to bring healing and restoration To all of them. And it only does it through Christ alone. And so, what we are going to do now is to respond and say, Thank you, God, for the gospel. We're going to remember that that phrase, and such was I, should never leave your mind. Yes, you rise up in your spiritual pride, and we're going to get to that. We need to always be reminded, but such was I. But God saved me. And so we should be the most thankful and the most missional people simply because what Christ has done for us. And so let's pray. So Lord, we thank you for this wonderful but hard chapter in Romans. It teaches us something about all of man's need. It teaches us about our need. Before Christ, it teaches us, Lord, as that great psalmist said, 
or hymn writer said that we're all prone to wonder. And so, Lord, we do pray that even today, today, God, for those listening online and for those right here that someone needs to repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that they would do that today, right where they sit. I pray that you would restore, that you would bring sins to light so that people could repent and not walk in them anymore. Oh God, we long to be free so that we can serve you, so that we can love you, so that we can be on mission with you. And we can't do that if we ourselves are still enslaved by the passions of our flesh. And so Lord, we pray that you would bring healing and restoration through the gospel, that you would make us thankful people. As we sing with our voice, as we come to the tables, to remember that we would be on, be in sin and enjoying every second of it, if not for the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, now we celebrate as a family, the family of the redeemed, the finished work of Jesus. We celebrate through our giving and then our going. In Jesus' name. Amen.